Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. It's wonderful having you join me today for another profound and transforming conversation that will uplift, open your hearts, you know, bring healing energy into your being, and just allow you to find peace in your life. That really is the purpose and the goal of this show. It's dedicated to our spiritual connection to the place where we are all connected and where we can really remind ourselves and each other of who we really are. So it's always great having an opportunity not only to be with all of my listeners, but to share empowering conversations that I trust will touch your heart and remind you of who you are so you can go out and touch the family members, your workers, your friends, people out there in the world, which is our work. You know, the the saying is, the, the, I would say it's the, the truth is that we're here to serve. That's the purpose of life. One of my spiritual teachers always says the purpose of life is to serve. And we're serving each other by just uplifting and uh, bringing some love into people's lives. Before we have our conversation today, I want to, as always, welcome people who may be listening for the very first time. Welcome. I hope you'll be returning week after week. And to help you do that, there are two ways that you can get the archive shows. You can either go to my Facebook page and like me there, and that page is What Women Must Know. That's the Facebook page, What Women Must Know. Or you can go to my website, drcherylselman.com, and opt in there to my site, and then I can send the archive shows to your inbox. And whichever place you choose to go, or both, I always send uh, information and interesting bits and pieces of of knowledge, wisdom, things that I think are relevant to support you in your life. So that gets posted and that also gets sent out to my list. So hope you'll be joining me for this ongoing journey of connecting to ourselves. And it's my great pleasure today because we're going to be talking about connection. We're going to be talking about relationships. We're going to be talking about the the purpose of the connections we have in our life. And my um, guest today in this in this conversation about in, encountered, um, centered transformations to support the healing of relationships, we cannot do enough in this world to support the healing of our relationships. It's just so primary because relationships are everything. So I have a very special guest today, Heidi Schleifer. And Heidi is someone who is an exceptional human being. She's a psychotherapist, an internationally renowned relationship builder and motivational speaker who guides, counsels, and teach couples, partners, business associates, therapists, and families about relational maturity, referred to by her colleagues as a therapist's therapist, 
Haiti has a unique, warm, and dedicated approach on relationship building. She speaks seven languages and has taught in 39 countries. She presently lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband of more than 50 years, Yumi, and has two sons and 13 grandchildren. And (laughs) it's such a pleasure to welcome Haiti to the show today. Hello and welcome, Haiti. Well, thank you, Cheryl, and I so appreciate the warmth in your voice as you were introducing me. I often think to myself, I wish my mom and dad could hear these introductions because they would have such naches, naches in Yiddish, <laughs> pleasure and pride and joy, and they would have naches, you know, that their little baby Haiti, born during the Second World War, you know, it's touching people's hearts and it's getting introduced in such a warm way. So thank you. Well, I want you to know, Haiti, that they do hear these introductions. Ah, so they're yes. very happy. You're they do, right and, they're, and they're thrilled every time <laughs> they, they hear people glowing about their little baby daughter. <laughs> so You're don't right ever doubt that. that. They are hearing it. Yes, indeed, so, I believe that deeply. <laughs> yes. I want to say that the the I'm so fortunate to have connected with you, and, and that was through our, our mutual friend, in Australia, Fran Levine, if she's listening, hello, Fran and Stan. Uh, Fran and Stan are, are wonderful friends of mine who are therapists in Melbourne, Australia, very dedicated to their work in relationships. And um, I remember uh, several years ago, Fran told me she's going to be traveling uh, several times a year to the United States to do this training with this woman. And I'm going, wow, that's a big commitment, you know, over a couple of years and to go back and forth from Melbourne to Washington, D.C. Well, she did get committed, she and Stan, her husband, and um, she just continues to um, rave about this program and her teacher and how it's transformed their lives, how it's transformed her work with relationships in her practice. So finally I said, okay, well, we just have to you know, have an interview with Haiti and meet this amazing woman. So I am <laughs> thrilled that we are able to make this connection, and and I love how connections happen and how we find each other in the world. And I, you know, I love this show so much because it gives me an opportunity to have an excuse to have conversations with people that I would never normally be able to have a one-on-one personal conversation with. So I'm very grateful to the show. I'm very grateful to Fran. I'm very grateful to you, Haiti, for being with us today. Thank you. So your 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 story is uh, so profound. I'm sure you've told it so many times, and I'll, I'll ask you if you can share it another time because it's shaped so much about who you are and your purpose in this lifetime, and it's so moving. So uh, would you be willing to just share a little bit about who you are and your journey in this lifetime and how you arrived at this passion that you have? From the very beginning, you're talking about the beginning of my life, sort of how I was born, or do you want to, yeah? Let's start there. Okay, okay, I think it's always... Or wherever you feel so inspired to start. Okay, well, you know, I 
was born inside of a war. Uh, my parents uh, uh, tried to escape from Belgium when the Nazis were coming in. And after being uh, apprehended and put in two transit camps in Vichy, France, my mother engineered an escape and they walked through the Alps, my mother pregnant with me, but when they got to the Swiss border, the border was closed to refugees. And my mother, courageous as she is, just jumped over the fence, the border, and threw herself into Switzerland. And my father was smuggled in by smugglers who risked their lives at the border all the time to bring people in. And so I was born in a refugee camp in Switzerland when my parents had found out that they both were there, that they had somehow survived this grueling journey, and that they had a baby. And I think that they imbued me there with a sense of enormous hopefulness about it's possible to survive, to transcend, to keep your spirit alive, to be joyful, to choose joy. And my mother used to say that she was following the edict of a rabbi, the, the rabbi of Bratislav, who said, if there's nothing to be joyful about today, well, then borrow a dance from future celebrations. And I think my parents knew how to borrow a dance from future celebrations. And when I was born, I think they imbued me with that sense that life is joy to be chosen again and again and again. And even when the big oi comes, O-Y, oi, you can say oi and then choose joy again and again. And so that's really what they did. And I think that I came in the world understanding that deeply in my fiber. And I met my husband, Yumi, after a very big oi in which I had lost a friend in a boating accident. She and I were on a river in the jungle in Brazil, and she died on that journey. And during that journey, I was guided in such a profound way that I understood that my life had a very big purpose and that even in the deepest loss, I could choose life again. And that is what made me meet my husband, Yumi, who had lost his two children in a boat, in a refugee boat that was torpedoed uh, during, in 1944. Ten days before I was born, it was torpedoed. Every survivor machine gunned, and Yumi lost his two children, and his two, his two sisters, and then met a wonderful woman at Columbia University, decided to marry her. She went to see an uncle in Jerusalem. She and the uncle sat at their windowsill, and they were killed by a Jordanian sniper, and Yumi lost that beautiful soul that he had decided to love. And so when Yumi and I met each other, I had just lost my friend Lucy in a boating accident. He still had that enormous scream in his belly about the loss of his two sisters and his beloved Debbie, and we both understood each other's hero's journey. You know, that's really how we meet a partner 
at a deepest level, we understand each other's hero journey, and then we then can assist each other in life in both transcending the pain and welcoming the joy. So here is my story as I'm telling it to you today. Well, and, and, uh, you know, that time must have been um, when you were both so vulnerable. Right. So there was like, you know, an access to a connection with each other because of that vulnerability. Yes. Indeed, because of vulnerability combined with courage and resilience. And I think that our humanity is really that wonderful formula of vulnerability combined with courage and resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you and Yumi have worked together for um, many years uh, in as partners in your work with relationships. And um, can you just share with us how, you know, what what your focus is in, in your purpose and how you evolved your unique way of working with healing relationships. And we have to say it's not just in a marriage relationship. You know, it's it's all relationships. You've worked in all sorts of facets from, you know, personal relationships, family, business. You train other therapists. What What is it that is your unique contribution in this realm of relationship healing? So Yumi and I have worked actually for 25 years together. Yumi just retired uh, after 25 years of working with me and his third career. And uh, he is the one responsible for the fact that we've traveled with our work to 39 countries and that we have taught in four languages because he is a citizen of the world and he felt like if we've got a message, it's got to be given all over, so we've really done quite a bit of journeying around the world. As a matter of fact, a student of ours calls us the itinerant mystics. So we were the <laughs> itinerant mystics. And um, what we evolved really through our own relationship and through the many teachers who came and went in our life we began to understand that there's one guiding principle in relationship. And the guiding principle is this. When we do our survival dance, when we are being defensive in the way that we are to just create some imaginary safety, when we do our survival dance, we will always feel disconnected. And what connects us? are three invisible connectors. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each one so that, you know, I can get clarity here. The three connectors are the relational space, the bridge that connects our world, and the zone of the encounter. So I'm going to talk about each one separately. The relational space is the space between us. And the philosopher Martin Luther was the first one to name that space, and he said, our relationship lives in the space between us. It doesn't live in me or in you or even in the dialogue between us. It lives in a space we share. 
And what he added was, this space is sacred. And so there is sacred space between us that we are responsible for, and our responsibility is to keep sanctifying that space. Now, we are very aware of the relational space because we can go visit friends and they've just had a, a fight and they love us. So when we come in, they hug us, they greet us, they smile at us. So we know there's toxicity in the space because as humans, we're plugged in to the relational space. So the first connector is our willingness to take responsibility for the quality of that space and make it sacred, and that whenever we pollute it, one way or another, with a criticism, a judgment, a look, we then own that and take, it, take that pollution out of the space. So that's the first connector, is our capacity and responsibility to honor the space between us. The second connector is a bridge. There's a bridge between us because each of us has a totally unique world with its own rhythm and culture and language. And so in order to know another, we must cross the bridge to the other side. And the metaphor we use is the art of visiting and the art of hosting. So one person is the host. I'm welcoming you into my world so I can show you where I live and who I am in the most transparent deep way, and the other metaphor is the art of visiting. I'm leaving my world, and I'm coming to you with completely new eyes so I can get to know you and learn you. And we come with a beginner's mind. The new eyes are really a beginner's mind. And there's a French poet, Marcel Post, who says, the adventure of life is not the discovery of new landscapes but our capacity to see the old ones with new eyes. And so when we cross the bridge to visit the other, we come with those new eyes to really just learn the language. A good relationship is bilingual. We know each other's language, like I know Yiddish and he knows Swedish. We have learned each other's language. So that second connector is a bridge. And the third one we call the zone of the encounter. And the encounter was against something coined by this philosopher, Martin Buber, who said that when we are in the encounter, we are in eternal time. And that everything lives in the encounter. The encounter is where the souls touch, where we feel like we're one. And we can have that sometimes in nature. We can walk in nature and suddenly, we're in the zone of the encounter. It's not nature enough anymore. It's all one. Or we can have it with music, where we listen to the music and suddenly we're in the zone of the encounter. And it's not us and the music anymore, but it's all one. And it brings tears to our eyes. And so the zone of the encounter is that third connector between humans, our capacity to encounter one another soul to soul. And so when we embrace these three invisible connectors, we will feel a deeper and deeper sense of oneness, wholeness with one another. 
And really the purpose of life is to serve and to serve what? To serve each other and to enter into the zone of the, of the encounter with one another. So that is what we discovered and began then to teach couples and partners and organizations the distinction between the dance of survival that divides us and fragments us and doesn't allow us to feel our essence and the dance of connection where we embrace the three invisible connectors and we begin to experience essence to essence connection. So that's at the basis of what we've traveled with together, you and I. You know, and that's that's so profound because that's really what we're all seeking. We're all we're all seeking to uh, be able to uh, connect with others, truly be present with others, to see who they are. But there's so many issues that get in our way, our, our traumas, our programmings, our, you know, the, the culture. There, you know, so many layers of things that disconnect us. So what, what would you say to people listening? And, and you know, what you're saying is, is so, you know, so um, appealing to people. But what is it that needs, how do you heal? How does how does one heal the the judgments that the, that we project onto others because of our our traumas, our unmet needs, our um, traumatic childhood or birth or whatever happened early in our life that closed us down to that place where we can be safe and opening and connecting again? Ah, I love that question. Because what we teach is this, that we, each one of us, like you, Cheryl, and I, Heidi, are a big, big world, a world that is expanding because we're willing to learn and to grow, and that that world is filled with neighborhoods. And there are neighborhoods in which we feel wonderful, that we feel passionate there and vital. We have neighborhoods of challenge. We have tough neighborhoods and scary neighborhoods where we ourselves are afraid to go without holding somebody's hand. There are neighborhoods in our world that we don't even know are there, and it's the mystery of who we are. And what we teach is how to travel over the bridge to visit neighborhoods. So everything is a neighborhood. Childhood is a neighborhood, and there are many parts to that childhood neighborhood. And judgment is a neighborhood, you know, in our world. And sometimes we get hijacked into the judgment neighborhood. And it's nice sometimes to have somebody just come to visit, you know, with unconditional regard for us into our judgment neighborhood. It's just a neighborhood. It's, it's not a big deal. It's a neighborhood in our world. And so what we teach couples is how to visit each other in all the neighborhoods. There are neighborhoods of enormous pain, and how to visit the neighborhood of pain, how to visit the neighborhood of challenge, how to visit the precious neighborhoods where we feel vital and passionate, where we feel that's my essence. And so all we teach couples and partners is to visit each other in the important neighborhoods of their world, to cross the bridge, 
and come and land in a neighborhood. And we also teach couples how to visit each other in the toughest neighborhood. We call it unraveling the survival knot, which is that each couple has a very, very tough neighborhood, you know, one person and the other person, and it is their impasse issue. It's the place where somehow they have no energy, they are stuck there, they go around and around in circles for years, even though they're creative and smart people. And so when a couple knows how to visit well over the bridge, we, I invite them to visit each other in the toughest neighborhood and to unravel that survival knot. And the toughest neighborhood has many, many layers that go back to the childhood neighborhood. And so we visit there also. And what occurs is that couples have a capacity to unravel that knot and open up the energy on both sides so that they become creative in their own life, so that they're not just a solid couple, but also a creative couple. And so everything that is our experience, we now call it, the neighborhoods of our world, and we teach the visiting of those neighborhoods. And the moment somebody lands with compassion and presence and love and softness and tenderness, lands in our world, we discover the deeper and deeper layers, and that's the healing that exploration, that discovery, and that capacity to open the neighborhood fully. That's when we heal because what, it, what occurs then is full integration of our own world and experience. You know, there, it just brings to mind that very few of us have ever been taught any really effective strategies for being in relationship. I mean, we run into a relationship and we fall in love and, you know, we're, we have that period of time of bliss, however long it lasts, but uh, then we land back into a reality from right. that state. Which right. is a shock because we think it's going to, you know, this is the, the vision. We're going to fall in love and everything's going to be wonderful. And right. um, we're not really and, prepared and- to do the work. That's right. And you know, Cheryl, when you and I got married and we fell in love with each other and we made a decision because things were tough, you know, we had our power struggle like all couples. And, um, and you know, I'm just going to say it started in our honeymoon, our power struggle, because we went to Hong Kong and Yumi bought the camera of his dream. I mean, old time at the time, 1965, my goodness. And it came with a manual, 254 pages on how to have a relationship with a camera. And then Yumi realized, you know, he's an engineer. He realized, my goodness, I don't have a manual on how to have a relationship with my wife. Let me get into this manual. At least there, there's logic and clarity. So there was my new husband inside of that manual. And I'm thinking, he needs to look at me. He needs to hold my hand. He needs to talk to me. And I started pulling at him. And that was the beginning of our power struggle where I started pulling and schlepping and shoving and and wanting and demanding and he started closing and moving away and constricting and, you know, and it got worse and worse. And in the beginning of our marriage, 
we felt like we cannot go into our Shabbat celebration Friday night being mad at each other. And so we would take a bath together, and the promise was that when the water drains, we would let go of whatever, of being right. You know, we would let go of being right. Well, we stayed there for hours. We were like prunes when we came out. And one day, (laughs) our little boy, our three-year-old, we heard him say to somebody on the phone, no, my mommy and daddy cannot come to the phone. They are in the bathtub together, and they will be there for a long time. So, you know, our (laughs) kids already understood that that bathtub was going to keep us because we had absolutely no skills on how to connect with each other. And so I want to tell you an example of when we began to understand the bridge. Because that example shows how quickly we fall back into survival, but how quickly once we embrace the three invisible connectors, we feel deeply in the zone of the encounter with each other. It was the about, um, let's see, 18 years ago now, um, Yumi had gotten his uh, sixth stent. Uh, he, he got two and two and then again two. And those last two created complications. And the doctor said, you cannot travel, Yumi. You cannot travel, not even to go see your father who lives in Miami, which was four hours by car for us. Do not travel. So when we came home, Yumi said to me, you know, Haiti, we're going to visit my father. Of course, we'll visit my father, and we're also going to go to South Africa. I said, Yumi, absolutely not. You know, the doctor tells you to protect yourself, and, you know, you want to travel? Yes, I want to travel. No, we're not traveling. Yes, we're traveling, and we're in a power struggle. And for two weeks, I was right. You know, like, I was right. The doctor is on my side. hundred people would be on my side, etc. And then after two weeks of this power struggling, we looked at each other and said, you know, we teach the bridge. We teach the space. We teach the encounter. Should we not do? Should we not walk our talk? And so we decided to walk our talk. And here's what we did, is what we teach. We sat across from each other and we took each other's hands and we sat at 18 inches because 18 inches is how a baby is programmed to look at mommy and daddy at 18 inches. As a matter of fact, the little child will pull your face at 18 inches because they know that there they'll get your full attention. The eye is structured to look very close at the face of the other. And so we sat at 18 inches. And we looked at each other with soft eyes. And in a way, we knew we hadn't done that, look deep into each other's eyes for two weeks. Because when you're in a power struggle, you look with slanted eyes and with dark in them. And so suddenly we're looking with soft eyes. And we actually had tears in our eyes because we hadn't seen each other in two weeks. Hmm. And then the first thing you do, you, you give gratitude just for life just for breath, just for being now in this moment. It's like a meditation in connection. You just sit and you say thank you. And as we did, a few more tears came. And then we had to decide who will be the first host and who will be the first visitor and asked Yumi, would you come to visit me first? And he came over the bridge, a 
And when he landed, I knew what I wanted to say to him. And it was a very simple thing. Don't die. Please, don't die. And so he was with me in sobbing that I cannot tell you how long it took. But he held me in my sobbing, and he basically just said my words. I hear you say that you really, really don't want me to die. No, don't die. And we stayed there for as long as we needed till all my sobs were out of me. And I could cross the bridge and come and visit him. And so I crossed the bridge as a visitor, and he was the host. And he told me three things that have changed my life. The first thing he said is, Haiti, I am not a heart. I am a man with a heart. And in that sentence, he told me something very deep, which was that I had objectified him. When I saw the complications of the sense, I made him into a heart instead of a man with a heart. And Martin Buber, the philosopher, says there are two ways we can treat another person, as a thou, a person, a high being, or as an it, an object, and that we very automatically and quickly objectify the other. And if you had asked me, Haiti, would you ever objectify your husband? I would say, never, ever. Well, I had. I had objectified him and made him into a heart rather than a man with a heart. And that statement I needed to repeat. I hear you say that you are not a heart. You are a man with a heart. Am I with you? Yes. took me a while to internalize that. But when I did, I could repeat it. And then he said, that man with that heart wants to say yes to the question, is this a good day to die? And I understood that because I was so afraid to lose him, I was going to control him to be half dead, but not completely dead. Meaning, I'd rather have your body here than lose you completely. And I realized that's not loving him. He wants to say, yes, this is a good day to die because I'm vibrantly alive right now, not half dead. And I saw that if I really want to express my love to him, then I must support his full aliveness and vibrancy. And so I could repeat the statement once I let it in and understood it. I hear you say that the man with a heart that you are wants to say yes to the question, is this a good day to die? And then he told me the third thing, and it was, well, that man with that heart who wants to say yes to the question, is this a good day to die, wants to go to South Africa. Well, we then developed what we call the third option. My father used to say, if there are two options, pick the third. And the third option was to go to South Africa, but change the trip. It was a work trip that was going to demand a lot of us. And together, we reorganized that trip and made it into the very right trip for Yumi, who celebrated his 70th birthday there 18 years ago. And so... With that third option, we went joyfully and peacefully in connection. We got upgraded in our hotel to the best suite we ever had. And on the way back, the pilot had been to our workshop by total miracle. 
and upgraded us to first class South African Airlines. So there we were. And we we really believe that when you come to a third option together out of connection, Providence will provide that third option, and it will be the most beautiful miracle in your life. So there was this couple with a power stroll on their honeymoon, able to, as an older couple, to embrace the three invisible connectors and enter the zone of the encounter. Well, how powerful a story, and especially that last part when when you both returned to that space between you where where all possibilities where love resides where you can be present uh how the universe just conspired to uh align and support you in every right. way which is in every way which is what happens right yes it does it does Exactly. Because you're living in an energy of harmony and peace and alignment, and everything flows when you are in that energy. Exactly. And, you know, it was not predictable that all this goodness would just uh, befall us, you know, flood us. But it did. Because, as you say, we went there in the zone of the encounter really together and having having built a third option that fit the circumstance, but also fits us, you know, as humans, alive and vibrant and not living in the fear of death, but rather embracing life. Yeah. Wow. That's a wonderful, a wonderful story. And, and, and you moved out of your fear, the, the anger, which was, you right. know, was covering the fear. And, exactly. Uh, and, uh, Move beyond that back to connection. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give you another example that is not with our coupleship, but it's the bridge, you know, the the space, the bridge, and the encounter. Um, I was in Stockholm, and I needed to get back home, and SAS was having a strike. And they told me I could come in the middle of the night, and I might be getting a ticket anyway. I arrived. And when the the counter opens up after the first person, I was number two, the woman looked at my ticket and she shouted at me and she said, you have two tickets and there's absolutely nothing I can do for you. Well, I had learned because it became a habit of the heart to cross the bridge. So I took a very big breath because when somebody shouts at you that way, the first thing you want to do is kill them. I mean, that's how our brain is. But I took the escalator to my frontal lobes and I took a deep breath and I crossed the bridge. And I landed in the neighborhood of exhaustion in her world. I could see the woman was exhausted. And so I did what I teach people, which is that you repeat the words, but you repeat them from a place of deep compassion. And I could have compassion because I had landed in the neighborhood of exhaustion in her world. And so I said, I hear you say that I have two tickets and there's just absolutely nothing you can do for me. Well, she heard a human voice. And I think it had been days since she had heard a human voice. So she looked up to see from where does that voice come from. And now we're making eye contact. And she shouts and she said, no, take a look at the line. I haven't slept in two days. But there was this long line. There was at least 100 people. And I knew she hadn't slept. And so now we're looking at each other. 
and I'm with her in the neighborhood of exhaustion. And I'm saying, so you haven't slept in two days, and here's this long line you have to take care of. She couldn't believe I was with her. She just couldn't believe it, and now she's smiling at me, and I'm smiling at her. And she says to me, you know, I'm so sorry. I can't do anything for you. You see the human in her just showed up. And I'm looking at her, and I'm, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, you're sorry. You'd like to do something for me, but you can't. She looks at me. She says, maybe I can. And she closed the counter, disappeared for 20 minutes, came back. She says, here is a ticket, Oslo, New York. SAS is losing millions. What a gift to a nice person. And so the idea is that when you embrace the three invisible connectors, what occurs as it did with my husband and I, is that the humans show up. The essence of the humans show up. And when the essence of the humans show up, there's generosity, there's gifting, there's connection, you see. And that woman went from total survival to total essence. She's a very generous person. And and she's willing to step out of the box and take a risk. But she wouldn't have been able to in that place of anger that came out of her neighborhood of exhaustion. Well, so the so the the message is when you are encountering that kind of um abusive communication, you know, whether right. it's right. anger or dismissal or whatever, first right. of all you have to take a breath and step back because you don't want to react because you right. just operate out of that ego. You fuel that 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 whole you know dysfunctional yeah. behavior. It gets fueled, right. which isn't going to accomplish anything but escalate. So right. you have to. It's it's like remembering or training yourself, or maybe that's just taking that breath, uh, even just having that conversation, that story that you just shared, I'm, I'm sure will impact on all of us listening that, you know, yes, we, we need to take a breath and we need, right. to, you know, a deep one, step a deep back. one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not to because react, no. not to get into survival re- mode and, you know, attack right. back. But, and the reaction. Which is a training, our, which is a training. Yes, it's a discipline, it a right? It is a training, and that, that reaction comes from the reptilian brain, the, the brain stem. And there, there's only two settings. Either I'm alive or you're alive. Well, I'm going to kill you. You know, I mean, that's really how our, our planet, unfortunately, still operates because we have wars, you know. So that comes from the brain stem. And that's why I said there's an escalator that you learn to use from the brain stem to the frontal lobes of the brain where two or three or four realities can live at the very at the same time. You know, that frontal lobe is a seat of consciousness. And when we're there, if we have a method, and this is the method, you cross the bridge and you land in a neighborhood. It's a habit of the heart. And when you land there, you'll see the person where they are right now. You know, and... Uh, and you know, but just having that, that metaphor, just having that metaphor that a person's behavior is a neighborhood, it, 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 yeah. it you're, you step out of it and you, you know, it's like you, it's like, a, it's a mindful exercise because it's out there 
you know, you're observing it and that metaphor, you're observing it as a neighborhood, which is a very good visualization, right? Exactly. It gives you a, a distance from it. That's right. And it gives you an understanding that in the big world of that woman, there's many neighborhoods. There's just one called exhaustion and I could feel it. You know, we've all we've all been exhausted. We know that neighborhood. So when I landed yeah. with her, I could feel her. It grows your compassion. But you know, it reminds me of a thing a story of my mother that is unbelievable because when my parents tried to escape from Belgium, they were apprehended and they were put into a truck. You've seen the Nazis who shove shove Jews into trucks and my mother was in that line with my father and she looked at the Nazi who was pushing people into the truck and what she did is she didn't see the survival suit of a Nazi she saw a human being and she entered his world and when it was her turn to be pushed she looked at him but she looked at him with the compassion of one human to another and she said, let us go. And he did. Wow. Wow. It's like that seed of your work was planted yes. there in that moment. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Wow. That's so powerful. Yeah. And so, you know, we train ourselves to know that on the other side is a human with all kinds of neighborhoods, and that Nazi had his Nazi neighborhood. But my mother wasn't confused by it. She saw the human, and she decided that if she looked at him with eyes that see him, he might, she didn't know, right, but he might act from a very different place than the Nazi neighborhood. And he did. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. Saved, saved, saved her life and your father's life. Yeah. And, and, and others, you know, it was a, it was a truck full. Yeah. Oh, he let them all go. Yeah. She said, let us go. He let everybody go. That was her message to him. Let us go. Wow. Um, Haiti, before we uh, before we get to the end of this amazing conversation, I uh, I asked you earlier before the interview if you would be willing to share about your journey with the diagnosis of breast cancer oh, and how you are relating to that and and working in this neighborhood. Oh, definitely right. It's a neighborhood. You're right. Well, I had two diagnoses. One 22 years ago and one two years ago, two different diagnoses of breast cancer. So when I got the first one, Yumi and I were terrified. And after two hours, Yumi said to me with a sweet smile, Haiti, how long should we feel terrified? Two hours, three hours? After that, it's an adventure and not a problem to be solved. It becomes an adventure. And so we decided, yep, we're going to make it an adventure, and Yumi gave it a name. He called it Rallying Around the Boob. And everybody that rallied, he called them the Boob Brigade. And we had an international Boob Brigade. And when we went to the doctors, we would say to them, are you willing to be in the Boob Brigade? 
And, uh, and if the doctor didn't find that funny, he wasn't going to be our doctor. And so we decided, as what we teach, that life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived completely and to be embraced completely. And therefore, at every stage, we embrace the adventure. We change the name of cancer to the cellular challenge because that's what it is. It's a cellular challenge, and our body is equipped to meet that challenge in different ways. But we were going to welcome the equipment of the body to meet the challenge rather than to fight something because that's just not how we want to live our lives. And so it was the embrace of the cellular challenge. And uh, I remember the day I went to get a dose of chemotherapy, and there was a big banner saying, Welcome, Cancer Survivor. So I said to the lady, you know, there's a mistake in your banner. And she looked, and she said, but I don't see it. Is it grammatical? Is it spelling? What is it? No, I said, it's conceptual. Do you want to know? She says, I do. I said, look, I have had a diagnosis of cancer. But right now, I'm not a cancer survivor. Because you, for example, have had the flu. Are you a flu survivor? Why should I have to always look back at the fact that I once had cancer when you don't have to look back at the fact you had the flu? She took a look and she said, you know, you're right. I mean, why should you always have to look back and say I'm a survivor? I said, you know, I, I intend to thrive in my life. I'm not going to call myself a survivor. It's not my identity. So she said to me, well, how should I call you? And I looked at her and I said, you know what? Hayden Schleifer will do. <laughs> she was amazed. She didn't realize that it wasn't helpful, you know, to identify with a diagnosis rather than with your true identity. And she said to me, I'm going to go talk to the doctors because the banner is all over the hospital. I realize now it's not helpful. And I remember a friend calling me. She hadn't heard I had a diagnosis of cancer, and it was two months. And she called, and she said, Hedy, is it true? And I said, what? And she took a long time to say it, and she said, well, the big C. And I said, no, <laughs> it's not true. And she said, oh, I'm so relieved. What, what is it? I said, well, it's the little C and the big me. And that's the way I looked at it. You know, it's a little C and the big me. I am the one embracing the, the, the rallying of, around the boob adventure and embracing the cellular challenge. And then two years ago, I had another diagnosis of breast cancer, a different one, and I chose to have a mastectomy of my left breast, and I became an Amazon. I'm sure you know the the legend of the Amazons, the women who cut off a breast in order to be able to uh, to um, shoot their bow and arrow. And they were powerful women of enormous responsibility. And I decided that I am entering the clan of the Amazons, which means I have bigger responsibility for life, for work, for love, my responsibility has just grown because I became an Amazon. So you can see that whatever comes into my life, I've decided it's not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived, and I must name the adventure and live it. 
Well, then you know that's uh, that that that's such an inspirational message for all of us because when you can shift that perception to a problem from a problem to an adventure, right. everything changes, right. right? Everything how you see it changes. The the, the, the changes. possibilities that you bring in to your world changes. Your emotional everything state changes. changes. And exactly. everything because changes for healing, for a greater healing yeah. possibility. Yeah. You know when I when I had the radiation therapy because you me and I were on this adventure, you know, rallying around the boob, we brought a funny story to the to the radiation oncology department every single day to whoever was there. And when I was done with the treatment, they didn't want to let us go. They said, you guys have to come back every day. We said, no, we're done. No, you have to come back. <laughs> and they prepared 50 balloons for us. They decided that we deserve 50 balloons because they watched what we did for the for the department. And what we did was simply live our adventure. You know what I mean? It was like, it's our adventure. We did it. For us, I mean, and, really, we and, were and, and brought your joy to everyone. Ex- brought your exactly. joy to everyone. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uplifted everyone. Um, you know, the the patients need the uplifting, but so do the staff. It's not an exactly. easy. Exactly. Exactly. They all felt that when Yumi and I came, the atmosphere of the whole department shifted. As a matter of fact, they were going to take a picture of me, and I said, you know, because I'm doing this adventure with my husband, my chart must have the two of us. Yeah, but we never do this, but this is your first time to do this. And they did. And they took a picture of you and me smiling together, head to head like this. And it it taught them something that, you know, this shouldn't be done alone. You know, there are many women that I met at the time whose husbands left them when they got the diagnosis. And the department is used to people coming alone. I don't mean that everybody, you know, everybody's partner leaves. But what they learned from us is that there is a way to do this together that they hadn't thought about. The picture needs to be of the partnership. You know, if there is a partnership, not everybody, you know, has a partner in their life. But if there is a partnership or a friendship, you know, it's got to be done in connection. Mm. And there should be a picture oh, so of the partnership. Yes, yes, yeah. That I mean that uh, that's I, that's so inspirational for me. You know, to to be reminded of how we can choose uh, right. how, how we deal with any situation. Right. You know, it's a right. choice. An adventure to be lived exactly. And you know, it makes sense to us that in that adventure, the picture in the church would be of both of us. And, you know, it was totally stepping out of the box for them. They had never thought of something like this. And suddenly, they were delighted with the idea that we would have pictures of two, and if the person doesn't have, like, a, a married partner, it would be a friend, or but it would be the partner who holds their hand. Hmm. And there would be that picture there of the two of them smiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a beautiful story that you shared with us. Katie. Thank you 
So, so, so uh, we, we've actually come to the end of the show, although we probably could go on for, yeah. for a long on time listening to you and in being inspired by you. But um, you. let's give people some, uh, some uh, resources where they can learn more about your work. And I guess the first place to, to send people is to your website. Right. So uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, so it's Hadi but I'm going to spell it for everyone. So it's H E D Y. Hadi is H E D Y. Schleifer S C H L E I F E R dot com. Heidi Schleifer dot com, and uh, I know your programs are listed there. And um, what else can people uh, have access to? Do Do you have? I think you have a DVD, right? That people yes, can I purchase. Two, two DVDs. One is called Encounter Centered Couple Therapy, and the other one is called Healing After an Affair, and they are the the two-day intensive work I do with one couple and two couples were willing to be filmed. So I have these and they are powerful because they show people how under all circumstances a couple can cross the bridge to each other and become connected in the encounter. And then there's a documentary called Crossing the Bridge and you be crossing the bridge and it is again a way for people to see us crossing the bridge and the workshops we have done together in which people cross the bridge to each other. Oh, that would be fantastic to people to have the uh, opportunity to see the work in action. Cause then exactly. Learn. Yep. yep, yep, exactly. So all of that is on your website. Right. Right? Right. Okay. So, yes. um, and there's, my, so, there's another website people can see. It's the Haiti Yumi website, H-E-D-Y-Y-U-M-I. It's our older website, but it's lovely because it's the one we built together, Yumi and I. I'm using mine now because Yumi retired, but that one has also many YouTubes. It, you know, so it's good for people to maybe browse in that one also. Haiti Yumi. Okay, so that's, that's Haiti, H-E-D-Y-Yumi, U-Y-M-I.com. Y-U-M-I. Why you am I? Why you am I? And I guess um, he's waiting to find out what his fourth career is going to be now. <laughs> you know what he decided to do? He decided to support my third because my first one was as a psychotherapist by myself. My second one was with Yumi, 25 years. And my third one is, again, me, and he wants to support me having my third career. So he's, like, behind me with my third career, in which I think I need to write a book, you know. I think every every day somebody says, have you written a book? Not yet. So I think in my third career, a book must be written. Well, I think you have quite a tale to tell. So I wait <laughs> for that book to come out. So, um so, so Haiti Schleifer, so much gratitude to you for the wonderful work you're doing for your, you know, beautiful, compassionate heart and all the lives that you are changing so they can open to their beautiful, compassionate hearts. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I wish you best of everything and look forward to your book. Thank you, Cheryl. And I loved being with you and with everyone you've attracted today. 
Yes, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining me. Come back again every week. We have these wonderful conversations. And I wish a week filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.